Well, welcome to North Village Church. My name is Michael, one of the pastors here. It's great to be, be here. We survived our winter blast. All right, everybody had a little PTSD from last year. Not sure how it was going to go, but we did it. And uh, thankful for that. We're going to be in James chapter 1. And uh, if, if, if you don't have a devotional, we, if you're new here with us this morning, please grab one of these. Take this home with you. It's our gift. Uh, we, we use this to kind of guide our Sunday mornings, to guide our time in community group. And uh, it's going to take us all the way to August 2022. And so it's a great resource for our church family. You can go to page 129 and, and jump in with us this morning. Uh, we also have tablets. Uh, we pass the aisle. So, Geraldine, if you can help get this one started on the front row, that'd be great. Just kind of goes to the, we do this every Sunday. If you're new here this morning, just kind of give us whatever information you're comfortable with. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to learn about North Village Church. Hey, last Sunday, we began our series in the book of James, and we started to explore just those first few verses. You know, Scripture's calling us to consider our trials pure joy. Right? That was the invitation last Sunday, and then the Lord gave us a winter blast to put it into uh, practice. And well, I was so encouraged by our church family, just watching us kind of navigate the challenge. Right? I mean, I heard it in your tone, right? that, that your eyes, you weren't focused on the circumstances, the news and the headlines, but that you were focused on Him, trusting in Him, reaching out to each other, seeing how we're doing sharing resources with one another. I was just so encouraged by our church family, putting God's word into practice, considering it pure joy as he teaches us to mature and grow in him. And so thankfully the freeze wasn't as bad as, as we thought, but still these days you gotta look for encouragement where you can. And definitely saw us doing that, so encouraged by that. Uh, the theme of trials uh, is gonna continue into our passage today, right? God's so good. We plan, we plan out the scriptures a year in advance, and, 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 and God knows exactly uh, what we need uh, as we look at God's word today. Uh, James is talking about wisdom, uh, but it's important to remember that the wisdom that James is talking about is taking place in the context of trials. Um, so this morning, we're going to focus on three subpoints. One, what is wisdom? Two, what are doubts? What about them doubts, right? And then it looks a little out of place, but what about money? It fits. Just stay in there with me. Uh, so let's tackle this first one. What is wisdom? Now, I know, I know life is kind of up and down, uh, but can't encourage you enough to get into Scripture every day. Get that devotional out. Turn to page 130 on Monday. The idea is that we're looking at Scripture on our own Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in our community groups so that when we come together, there's an explosion of God's goodness in His Word. So young people, you, you don't have to wait till Sunday. You can start looking at this Scripture on, on Monday. So lean in, lean in with us throughout the week. Let's look at verse 5. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. So first, it'll be helpful to know the book of James is described as wisdom literature. So when you read James on your own, uh, th there might be times where it feels like you're reading something by uh, Yoda, Right? It's a, he's, it's a little hard to understand sometimes, like do or do not. There is no try. And you're just like, what? Right? It's because James' writing style is blending the cognitive 
and the emotive, right? The head and the heart so that it's a little abstract. Uh, For many of us, we're used to linear writing, right? Paul's letters are linear. What we learn in school, right, to write a uh, an essay is it's linear. You have a, a main subject and then a first point and then a supporting point and then a second, you know, you, like it's linear and that's the body and then there's a conclusion. James doesn't write, write like that at all. He'll have like a, a, a main subject and then a supporting point and then a second main subject and then a third main subject and then a conclusion and you're just like, what did I... What did I just read? It's wisdom literature. So don't get thrown off by that. Second, when James introduces the concept of wisdom in verse 5, James is teaching us to distinguish between knowledge and wisdom. Right? That's right. What is wisdom? It was not knowledge. Knowledge is information. Right? Knowledge is what we learn in school, and then we regurgitate that information to take a test. That's not wisdom. That's knowledge. Wisdom is knowing information and then being able to apply that information to life in such a way that we experience the best parts of life, right? That, that's, that's wisdom. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, so that one might have knowledge of God, right? You might know information about God. You might grow up learning scriptures and verses about God, but that's not wisdom. James chapter two says, that's great that you know information about God. Demons know information about God, but it's wisdom that leads us to apply that information in such a way that we know him and we worship him, that we surrender our lives to him, that we follow him, right? That's wisdom. Therefore, talking about trials, right? He's saying as you go through trials in life, it isn't just knowledge of knowing how to navigate the trial, but that it's wisdom, to cry out to our heavenly father in prayer. It's what we talked about last Sunday, right? It's wisdom that moves us to prayer. It's wisdom that moves us to God's word in the midst of trial. It's wisdom that moves us to the body of Christ in trials, right? You can go online, you watch it on YouTube. That's what we covered in verses one to four. That's wisdom, right? You can know about prayer and not pray. That's knowledge. Or you can know about God's word, but never turn to it not enjoy it, not study it, not obey God's word, to find life and goodness in God's word. You can know I'm going through a trial right now. I should reach out to the body of Christ and not do it. Right, scripture actually, that's foolishness, right? It's wisdom that applies that, that truth to reach out, to send a text, to show up on a Sunday morning. Look at us, we're so wise today, to show up to a community group throughout the week because you know I need that community group and that community group needs me. And so it's wisdom that moves us. We want to be men and women who are wise so that as we go through trials, James writes, yes, that's what we want. And if you lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom and our heavenly father gives us wisdom generously. Do you see that in verse five? That word generously 
In the original language, it means simply. It means that when you are in Christ, you have a heavenly father that just loves to give wisdom. He loves to, to see his children cry out for wisdom and that he just, he just gives it simply. Right? We might give with conditions. Right? That's how we might give people things. We might give with, you got to jump through these hoops. We might give with like backwards compliments, like, all right, I'll give it to you this time, but next time, right, let's make this a pattern, right? We might, that's how we give. That's not how our Heavenly Father gives. I mean, verse five is teaching, if you like wisdom, he just ask for it. He gives it generously. He doesn't give jabs. He gives it simply. We just we just ask, that's the good news. But let's look at our second subpoint. What about doubts? I mean, the natural response to verse five, if you're tracking with me this morning, is that if our heavenly father gives wisdom generously and simply without any strings attached, then the natural question is, why wouldn't the body of Christ just be full of wisdom. I mean, this would be like a Jedi temple of wisdom in, in the local church, right? That's what scripture's teaching. Just ask. He gives to his children generously, simply. And so like, when, when you want to see a people navigating marriage, like the local church should be exploding with glorious marriages and the workplace and navigating the culture, questions about immigration, gun control, pandemic, you want to see wise people? You go to the local church. That's where the wisdom is. Let's look at the verse 6, 7, and 8. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all he does. In verses six to eight, you gotta remember, these words, it's, it's taking place in the context of trials, of temptations. We're going through in life, and then he's, he's, he's reminded us that when we go through those trials, when we go through those temptations, we are going to be faced with doubts. Right? I, myself, you, all of us. Let's just be honest. Like when we go through trials, we're we're faced with doubts. We start wondering, like, well, what if, what if I, I know it's it's wise to pray to the Lord, but what if I pray to the Lord and He doesn't answer my prayers? What if I read the Scripture and the Scripture doesn't speak to me? Right? We have those moments. Like, I mean, I know I'm supposed to open the Bible and study the Scriptures, but what if nothing happens? What if, it, what if there's no connection? There's doubts. What if I obey God's word and I only see more trials? We've had that happen, right? Right? We think, well, I'm going to obey God's word, and then just more trials come. What happened? It's like doubts. Doubts, 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 doubts. What if we don't see wisdom? 
What if we send the text to that person? God's word tells me to bear one another's burdens. I'm gonna reach out and then they ghost me. They don't, I just poured out my heart in a text. I'm, I'm dying here, everybody. And there's nothing. What if that happens? What if I go to a community group and people don't talk to me? Doubts. I'm sure we all wrestling different layers of doubts. And verse eight is teaching us. Verse eight's teaching us that when those doubts come upon us, that we become like double-minded men and women. That word double-minded in the original language, it means double-minded. Write that in your notes. Right? It, it, It means that We're going through a trial or temptation and we're literally emotionally, mentally, relationally, spiritually, we're trying to exist in two different worlds. We're we're double-minded. You ever feel like that? Like in this world, very confident in the God of Scripture. He's good, right? We were just singing about it. He's gonna come running after us with his goodness. He's gracious. He's glorious. And we believe it wholeheartedly. It's true. And at the exact same time, we have another foot in another world. What if he's not good? What if he's not gracious? What if he's not glorious? What if he's not working out all these things? Like, what if? And this wave of doubts just comes upon us. We become double-minded, Like the wave, that's what he's doing, that illustration is picture perfect. Wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That's what what I do. I become double-minded and trials come upon me. Doubts come. I experienced this just last weekend. I get a phone call. My brother is, is diagnosed with a failing liver. I'm on the phone. I'm hearing this information. And I absolutely believe that he's good, gracious, and glorious, and he can work in the life of my brother. And I kid you not, as I'm on the phone, I start living out in this other world about how he's gonna die. And within months, and I'll I'll probably, I'm speaking at his funeral. Like in milliseconds, I'm hearing the information, and in milliseconds, I'm imagining myself speaking at his funeral. I mean, can you imagine, like in that moment, my emotions were like all over the place, spiritually, mentally. I was a double-minded man in that moment. Just watch this video. See if I can make you seasick a little bit. I mean, we think of the ocean. The ocean is like vacation, right? You go, but when James writes about being tossed to and fro in the waves of the sea, I mean, the sea was scary, The sea was chaos. The sea was full of destruction and instability. And so just imagine, that's what life feels like right now. Just being tossed. We start out the day so hopeful, clear-eyed, zealous about what's gonna happen, And sometimes it feels like by the time we make it to the shower, waves of doubts are already crashing upon us mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Waves of doubts. 
In that moment, we're becoming double-minded men and women. Listen to me. This isn't just a... There we go. I won't do that to you the rest of the worship service. This isn't just a unique challenge for 2022. This isn't just like, oh, this is a special time where we're going through a lot of trials. It's just life. And we see this in scripture. I mean, page after page, it's, it's, it's people. God speaks to them. It's awesome. God speaks to them. Oh my gosh, right? And then, and then they begin to obey God, but sure enough, there's a trial. What? A trial? What? Where'd this come from? It's for almost every person in scripture. And then they begin to doubt. What? I didn't, and then, and, and we, and we, and when we read it, we're like, why are they doubting? Because we know how it ends. We're like, why don't they just trust the Lord? Look at, you know, Noah and Adam and Abraham, David, Moses and Joseph, the apostles, Habakkuk, like every one of them were just like, oh, they're so silly. Why don't they just trust the Lord? Right, but that's where they are. That's not just people in scripture. That's all people. This is a real challenge for us today. Now, how are we on guard against becoming double-minded men and women? Against kind of being overcome by the waves of doubts. I mean, just last Sunday, you can watch it on YouTube if you like. If you go to verse four, Verse four, James says that in Christ, you're mature, made perfect, and lacking in nothing. That's the gospel. Theologically, that's called justification. And then literally, the next verse, he's like, but if you lack wisdom. You see what he's drawing out there? That's called sanctification. How does that work? I don't know. But that is the gospel, that in Christ, you are mature, made perfect, lacking in nothing, and at the same time, we're growing in righteousness. We're learning how to take on those doubts and not to be succumbed to the double-mindedness. That's the real challenge for us. That's the invitation of God's word. Trials are going to come. Wisdom is available. And when those doubts hit us, it's going to feel like we're on that boat. And we're going to, we're going to feel unstable, right? You ever been in the ocean and a big wave comes crashing on you? You start reaching around for something to grab? It's exactly what happens in life. And that's what brings us to our next subpoint when we talk about money. It may not be for all of us, but for the majority of us, for a good chunk of life, when we're crashing in with trials and waves and challenges, we reach for something stable. And a lot of times we reach, we reach for money. And so God's word goes right after it. Let's look at 9, 10, and 11. It says, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with the scorching wind and withers the grass and it's the flower and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. He's talking about money. I mean, at first glance, it, we might think Jesus looks down on money or people that are wealthy, but you, you need to know 
Uh, There are many examples of people with money, people with wealth that are positive examples in scripture. Money's money's not evil. Having money's not horrible, right? I mean, David was wealthy. Abraham's wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea is a wealthy man. He donates his tomb for Jesus to be buried in, right? Wealth, Wealth is not the enemy. Making money isn't necessarily good or bad, but it is our view of money that's important. In verses nine to 11, we see God's word exposing the instability of money. Doubts are going to come. We're gonna reach for something to catch our hold. God's word saying is not money. I mean, if anything that the pandemic has taught us these last two years is that money is fragile. The economy is fragile. Our country, I mean, with a virus halted our economy. The value of our currency is in flux or inflation. Like if anything, we've learned that money is not the source of security. And yet we gotta be honest with ourselves that we reach out to grab a hold of money. And when we do, we're becoming double-minded men and women. Does that make sense? Listen, I don't want to shock you. But when Scripture 9, 10, 11 is talking about the rich and wealthy, Scripture's talking about the men and women in this room. I know we all like to think it's talking about Jeff Bezos. <laughs> that, that's the rich and wealthy. But the Austin Chamber of Commerce says the average median income in Austin is $100,000 for a family. Right, so that that if you're making anywhere near that amount of money, you are in the top 1% of the global rich in our world. That we are wealthy. I know, I know some of us have some different stories and maybe there's some struggles. I'm just talking, the majority of Austin is a wealthy, rich city. And look, you might be thinking like, oh, pastor's just trying to get, get on to us about money. I'm rich too. I wasn't even trying to become rich. I, I happened to buy a house in our city 15 years ago, and now I'm wealthy. And that's a lot of us in this room. We, were, we may not have been trying to become wealthy. I stumbled into wealth. It just happened. Like that, that's what's the, the reality. We're just wealthy people. It's, it's all of us. I mean, not, not you, Tucker. Mom and dad are wealthy, but you're, you're, you're not. It's why the Apostle Paul, look, this ties in right with, with me. Stay with me. Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, instruct those who are rich in this present world. That's, that's the wealthy in the city of Austin. Not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. This is First Timothy, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation, a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life. You see, the, good, the gift of wealth, it's not positive or a negative. 
right? It's, it's just a reminder that our life was never intended to be anchored in wealth and money. It's a false security. It's an illusion of security. That's why verse 18, verse 18 says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share with others. Why? Because you don't build your life. You don't find your security. It's meant to be a conduit to bless others. That's why James, in verse 11, is reminding us that the wealth of this world is gonna pass away. The grass withers. The flower fades. Please don't put your hope Please don't reach out for a firm foundation in the, in the illusion of money. I mean, take a few minutes the next time you drive past a cemetery. That's where we're all gonna end up. There are people just like us, men, women, and children that had dreams, that had careers, they had relationships, they had hopes, they had aspirations. They're dead We're gonna end up there also. Why are we putting our hope in money? It's an illusion. So let us take, this is what scripture's teaching us, to take that gift of money. If you have it or you don't, it doesn't matter. If you have it, take it and give it away. Do good works with it. Make it shareable. Bless others. Let it be an outward expression of faith that our hope is not in money, that our foundation, that our stability, that our strength is not in money and in wealth, but it's in Jesus. That's why you give it away. It's a step of faith. It's an act of worship. It's not, it's not wealth. It's you, Jesus. It's great if I have it. I don't need it. And so we give it away. It was one of my favorite parts about us raising money to get into this space. We raised over $200,000 in the summer of 2020, in a pandemic, when the earth, I think it might have literally been shaking beneath our feet, when everything in us tells us to hoard, to hang on to, to find strength in wealth and money, and by God's grace, he moved us to give it away. It's an act of worship. My strength is not in money. It's not in wealth. I'm going to give it away. Every dollar was a step of faith to say that our trust is in you, Lord. I'm not going to give my heart my money. I'm not going to reach out. That's not going to be my firm foundation when the waves of doubt come upon me. But it's in you. Might that be our response to every one of those double-minded worlds that we try to live in? Listen, I get it. It might not be money for you. Scripture's just, it, it's money for a lot of us. It's, it might not be money for you. When, when the trials come, the doubts are going to come. When the ground gets unstable, what do you reach for? It might be relationships. It might be romance. To go find somebody to cuddle up next to, to remind you that you feel safe and secure. It might be your career trajectory. You update that resume. You look at that title, that office view, that you, that's where, it might be there. It might be in food. The waves of doubt come upon you and you run to just 
feel full because that feeling of feeling full feels like a hug. And so you wanna feel full and so you just indulge in food as a source of security. For me, it's control. That's why I dominoed out like within seconds of what I'm gonna say at my brother's funeral because I just wanna know that I've thought through everything. And what scripture's inviting us to is to not warm up to those thoughts, to not tease them out. They're not our friends. They're actually our enemies. They're making us double-minded men and women. We're trying to hold together like these two worlds. One is true and one is a false world that we've made up in our heads. We become double-minded. Scripture's calling us to reject it, to take those thoughts captive, why James admonishes the man or woman with humble means. Do you see that in verse 9? The brother or sister with humble circumstances, this is what he says you put your hope, you glory in your high position. If you're in Christ, that's what you glory in. You're in Christ, that's what you reach for. When the trials come and the waves of doubts come upon you, you reject them. You don't cozy up to them. You reject them and you cling to Christ. You confess to Christ that he is our solid rock, that he is our firm foundation, that he is the one who called out to you, who calls you his. Hebrews says that it was his joy to endure the cross, that he loves you, that he's the one who spoke creation into existence. Ephesians 1 says that in Christ you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what you glory in. That's the high position we have in Christ. Ephesians 2 says that we're seated in the heavenly places when we're in Christ. That's what we glory in. That's what we hold on to. We don't give that double-minded thinking one, one inch, one second. We reject it. Listen, God's word knows we're gonna doubt. We're going to doubt. James knows, verse 4, you're mature, lacking in nothing. Verse 5, but. And then spends the rest of the letter trying to remind them, like, you need wisdom. God knows we're going to doubt. If you, if you lack wisdom, like, he knows those waves of doubts are going to come upon us. That's not a question. We can't stop them from coming. But when they come, let's not warm up to them. Let's turn from them. Theologically, that's called repentance. When those, thought, when those thoughts enter, we reject it. Say, no, take them, take them captive. Or forgive me, help me not to, that's wisdom, to not entertain it. To not be double-minded men and women, but to be single-minded men and women. That's the invitation of God's word. Listen, I get it, there's a lot of trials going on right now. There's lots of waves there's lots of doubts. That's true for every one of us. So I wanna invite you in the body of Christ, reject them, squash them, shut them down. You have everything you need for life and godliness in Christ, shut it down. If you don't know Jesus, you need to meet him right now. The waves of doubts are too great. Please don't think that you can take them on your own. You can't.
Turn to Jesus. He loves you. Scripture teaches to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, to believe in your heart that he resurrected from the dead. Believe on him today and glory in the high position you have in Christ. That's the invitation for every one of us. I want to invite you to do that. For every one of us to become men and women with deep roots in Christ. That we could weather any storm. That we would count it all joy when those trials come. Because we're single-minded men and women. So we're going to do this together. I want to invite you to close your eyes, bow your head. It's just going to bring down the lights. And I want to give you some time to reflect on your own. Maybe it's not money. I don't know what the double-minded world is that you're trying to juggle, but I just want to give you a chance to come before the Lord on your own. Hear the Holy Spirit speak to you about the double-minded worlds that we're trying to build out. I was talking to a pastor one time and he, and he told me, uh, you know, sometimes when you're going through trials, it kind of feels like there's a cobweb that you've walked through. You ever have those moments, you're going through the woods, you go out the front door and you hit a cobweb and this wave of fear hits you, just like, where's that spider? He's gonna get me. And so you just start swatting away all the cobwebs. And sometimes in life, that's what we, we put all this energy physically and emotionally and spiritually to swatting out these cobwebs. And so this pastor said, let's go find that spider. Let's stop swatting it at cobwebs and let's go find that spider and squash it. So that's what we want to do right now. In the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to speak to our hearts. Show us what's double-minded in our soul right now. Show us what we're teasing out, what we're cozying up to. Would the glory of God shine into the truth to help us to see that it is not our friend. It is the enemy that has come to still kill and destroy. And so in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, help us to turn from it. To turn from that false reality. To believe true things. To take hold of true things. To be single-minded men and women. Father, I confess that to you. I'm going I'm to do it again. I'm going to try to create this false reality again. I'll probably do it later on today. So I just pray that you, you would help me remember to, to turn from it, to reject it, to be a single-minded man in you. I pray that every, every one of us would have that heart today. We're going to have men at the front, men and women at the back. Don't sit in this. 
Be single-minded and go to those men or women and ask them to pray with you, to pray for you. That we could be men and women, that we would be men and women, a church family that are full of wise men and women, just rich in wisdom. Would you do that in us, Jesus? We trust you for it. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.